The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is Tuesday, the 21st of April, 2020, and this talk is the fourth in a series on uh, Zen perspectives on sickness and healing. What we what we can learn about about these from uh, particularly from the koan tradition. And uh, today we'll be looking at another koan from the Shoyoroku. Um, Book of Equanimity, uh, number 83, Dao Wu, Tending the Sick. Um, but just before we, we um, get into the main body of our uh, Taisho today, um, I came across a, a recent post from um, Joanna Macy's group, uh, The Work That Reconnects. This is by somebody called Sylvia de Blasio. And... Um, Just wanted to to read it. It's a short passage, and then and then make a couple of comments about it. Um, people who know Joanna Macy's work know that she talks about the the need for a, a great turning, a great um, um, a evolutionary growth that needs that is desperately needed within our um, world. And uh, this this Sylvia de Blasio is commenting on the pandemic, and she says. This is the great unravelling. It is also positive disintegration and the great turning, the disintegration of our consumption culture is slowing the destruction of our ecosystems and creating time for connection. Entire cities are able to see the blue sky, listen to the birds and breathe clean and fresh air. People are taking time to check in with their loved ones and to reconnect with themselves. We see the great turning towards a life-sustaining society too. People around the world are self-organizing in community support groups. This is a powerful opportunity to slow the destruction and to build new structures for a sustainable future. Nothing else has grabbed our attention in, the way, in this way previously, not climate change, not species extinction, not widespread social injustices. Now, hopefully, all will realize that we are truly interconnected and that only through connection and cooperation can we care for ourselves, the planet, and our communities. And I think a lot of us have been uh, having the same kind of um, hope for what we're going through right now but we also have to um, take note or um, accept that the opposite is also happening uh, we're also seeing in some parts of the world leaders inciting violence uh, even civil unrest in response to the lockdown and all kinds of um, denial happening and misinformation being uh, spread that really preys on people's fear and anxiety. And at this point, we really don't know how it is all going to turn out. So to, um, to be okay with staying in a place of, of really not knowing um, and not to fall into um, hope or despair if these are kind of defences against that, that the sense of uncertainty that we face, not knowing about how things are going to turn out. Okay, now turning to to 
Um, I'll show you Roku Koan. Let's just, just um, start by reading the whole thing. So, Dao Wu tending the sick. Gui Shan asked Dao Wu, Where have you been? Dao Wu said, I've been tending the sick. Gui Shan said, How many people are sick? Dao Wu said, Some are sick, some are not. Gui Shan said, Isn't it you who's not sick? Dao Wu said, Sickness and non-sickness have nothing to do with it. Speak! Speak! Gui Shan said, Even if I could reply, it would have no connection with that matter. So just a, a little bit of um, background information on these two characters. We have Gui Shan, his full Chinese name is, is Gui Shan Lingyo. His Japanese name is Isan Reiyu, um, and his dates are 771 to 853. And then the other character is Dao Wu. His, his full Chinese name is Dao Wu Yuanzhi, and his Japanese name is Dogo Enchi. <coughs> and his dates are <coughs> 769 to 835. So it's just a, a couple of years older than Guishan. So first a little bit on Guishan. He's reading, uh, as we often do, from Andy Ferguson's Zen's Chinese Heritage. So Zen, Zen master Gui Shan Lingyo was a disciple of uh, Bai Zhang Huaihai. Um, this is um, Yakujo, appears in the um, second koan in the Muwankan, Hyakujo and the Fox. Along with his student Yang Shan, this is talking about Gui Shan, he founded what later generations called the Gui Yang School, the first of the five traditional houses of Zen. And uh, Yang Shan's Japanese name is Kyozan, and the name of their school in Japanese is Igyo School, so it takes part of each of their names to, um, to make the title of the school. Many koans in the Zen tradition consist of dialogues between Gui Shan and Yang Shan. They were particularly close. They had this this um, very. Uh, they were very in harmony with each other. These two. Some of these koans and the teachings of the school in general are characterized by the use of symbols, symbolic symbolic actions, and metaphors. Although Zen's use of such devices was well established prior to the Gui Yang school, there they find found their foremost expressions to date within the Chinese Zen tradition. And then it goes on uh, to um, quote from the Wu Deng Hui Yang. This is this great compendium of uh, stories about the masters. Um, and it's there that we find that the account of Gui Shan's enlightenment. Zen master Gui Shan Lingyo had the surname Zhao. He came from the village of Changshi in Fuzhou. He left home to enter Build Goodness Temple in his native province at the age of 15. There he studied under the Vinaya master Fa Chang. Later, Gui Shan received full ordination at Lungxing Temple in Huangzhou, where he also studied the Mahayana and the Hinayana scriptures. At the age of 23, he traveled to Jiangxi, 
where he studied under Bai Zhang Huai Hai. Bai Zhang permitted Guishan to become his disciples upon their first meeting. Later, Guishan attained the position of head of practice among the monks. Once, when Guishan was acting as an attendant to Bai Zhang, Bai Zhang asked him, Who's there? Guishan replied, Me. Bai Zhang then said to him, Stick a poker in the fire and see if there's any fire left in it. So in the stove, we'd say, Stick a poker in the stove. Guishan did so and he said, There's no fire left. Bai Zhang then took the poker himself and sticking it deep into the stove, pulled out some hot embers. Showing them to Guishan, he said, You said there was no fire life, fire left, but what about this? Upon hearing these words, Guishan experienced great enlightenment. He then bowed and made his realization known to Bai Zhang. Bai Zhang said, when you've ex what you've experienced is a temporary fork in the road. In the scripture it says, if you want to understand the meaning of Buddha nature, then you should look in the realm of temporal causation. When it expresses itself, it is like delusion suddenly turning into enlightenment, like remembering something that was forgotten and realizing that the self and other things do not come from some other place. Thus, an ancient teacher said, Enlightenment is but the same as non-enlightenment, without mind and without dharmas. It is just this mind that does not hold to ideas of emptiness, delusion, mundane or sacred. It is the original mind dharma that is of itself perfect and complete. Having arrived at this, you must uphold and sustain it. So Guishan has this, this um, great enlightenment, it says here, and, and uh, yet Bai Zhang first seems to, to put, put a damper on it. What you've experienced is a temporary fork in the road. But there's a very important thing to understand about uh, even a great enlightenment that um, what comes after, how we, how we, that plays out in our lives is so important. And along with seeing into the nature of things is this sense of it being like remembering something that was forgotten. This is how, how uh, Bai Zhang puts it. like realizing that the self and other things do not come from somewhere else. Discovering it right where we are. Enlightenment is but the same as non-enlightenment, without mind and without dharmas. It is just this mind that does not hold to ideas of emptiness, delusion, mundane or sacred. And this, this uh, not holding to ideas, but, but to realize emptiness, even the emptiness of emptiness is very much a part of um, the koan that we're going to look at today. The next day, Guishan accompanied Bai Zhang to do work on, on the mountain. And of course, Bai Zhang um, was the originator of the, f the famous dictum of Zen, a day of no work is a day of no eating. So the, this, um, the monks going off to work uh, was a very important part of the training that um, was given by Bai Zhang in, the, in his monastery and then spread 
his rules of, of um, his monastic rules became became the standard. So they went into the mountains to work and Bhaijang said to Guishan, did you bring the fire? And Guishan re replies, I brought it. Bhaijang says, where is it? Guishan then uh, picks up a piece of, of uh, firewood that was lying around and whistles twice and hands the piece of wood to Baijang. And Baijang says, like a termite eating wood. And it goes on to tell the story of his, of uh, Guishan's um, appointment to the t uh, new monastery on Mount Gui, which is where he got his name. Um, this is, uh, the last part of this is turned into one of the koans in the Mumonkan number 40 when um, Guishan kicks over the water bottle. And um, just the end of his life, um, he, he uh, Taught, had taught countless people during his f more than 40 years as a teacher. And then it recounts that on the ninth day of the first lunar month, so this would be in the winter, in February, Guishan finished bathing, sat cross in a cross-legged posture, and peacefully passed away. Didn't, on this occasion, didn't have any, any last words that he left with us. Um, Monks, besides his the eloquence of just sitting. Now, just a little bit about um, our other protagonist here, Dao Wu. His um, Japanese name Dogo Inchi. He was a disciple of Yao Shan Weiyan Yakusan. Came from ancient Yujang, and he was said to have studied and received ordination under uh, Bai Zhang Yepan. This was a different Bai Zhang, who was a successor to uh, Bai Zhang Huaihai, and took over his monastery after he um, after he died but that was in his that was in Dawu's youth and then later on he he trained with Yaoshan and it was um, there that he received Dharma transmission and then finally after years of um, pilgrimage he settled down on Mount Dawu which is where he got his name in Hunan province. And um, just a little example of an exchange between him and his, his master, Yaoshan. One day, Yaoshan asked Dawu, Where have you been? Walking in the mountains, said Dawu. Yaoshan said, Without leaving this room, quickly speak. Dawu said, On the mountain the birds are white as snow. At the bottom of the brook, the fish never stop swimming. There's another exchange here between um, Shan and Yunyan. With what does Bodhi, this is awakening, with what does Bodhi sit? Yunyan said, it sits with non-action. And this non-action is really referring to non-clinging. 
Yunyan then asked Gui Shan the same question. Gui Shan said, It sits with all empty dharmas. Yunyan then asked Dao Wu. So again we see another another story with both Dao Wu and Gui Shan in it. What do you say? Dao Wu said, Bodhi sits listening to it. Bodhi lies down listening to it. But as for the one who neither sits nor lies down, speak, speak. Guishan got up and left. In the year um, 835, um, in the ninth month, so that would be in the autumn, Dao Wu became ill. His condition turned grave. The monks came to inquire about his welfare. Dao Wu said to them, Do you understand the phrase, having received, making restitution? What was he talking about here? Why was he saying this to his monks? Having received, received, making restitution. Paying back, we'd say. In what way would the monks have received and be being encouraged to to pay back on their master's departure. It says the monks were startled by these words. Ten days later, just before his death, Dawu said to the congregation, I'll go to the west, I shouldn't go east. And upon saying these words, Dawu died. Not sure what he's referring to here with this. Whether it's the Western paradise or perhaps the where Bodhidharma came from, I'm not sure. Of course, India, the, the birthplace of the Buddha, was to the west of China. And now back, back to our case. Guishan asked Dao Wu, Where have you been? Dao Wu said, I've been tending the sick. Guishan said, How many people are sick? Dao Wu says, Some are sick, some are not. Guishan then says, Isn't it you who's not sick? Dao Wu said, Sickness and non-sickness have nothing to do with it. Speak, speak. Guishan said, even if I could reply, it would have no connection with that matter. We start off with this opening um, question. Guishan asked Dao Wu, where have you been? Probably most people who've heard a few koans will be, this will be a, a familiar opening gambit. And of course, it's, he's not just asking about Dawu's prior physical location. This is, this is, you could say, it's the opening serve in a Dharma tennis match. And the, the, the question is, what sort of ball will Dawu return when answering this question? really asking where are you coming from what's what's the state of your mind so he's he's just um Guishan is is uh, kind of stirring stirring things up a little bit see what see how Dawu might respond and Dawu says I've been tending the sick. And we could certainly take this literally. Um, most monasteries, if not all, had a nirvana hall where, where um, the monks went when they were, were ill. Um, or he could have been t tending to a lay follower or a student who was 
very sick. This is an important caring for the for the sick is an important practice within Buddhism. In the in the classical Pali suttas, there's um, this uh, a story told about um, the Buddha discovering a monk who is very ill in a terrible state, and he he took him in hand and um, washed him, changed his 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 robes and and got him comfortable and later when he when he saw the rest of the monks he gave gave a talk about this and he said if you do not tend one another then who is there to tend you whoever would like would tend me he should tend the sick whoever would tend me he should tend the sick this is very very similar to something that Christ said to his his followers. And to to recognize when one is looking after the sick, that um, one is in effect looking after the Buddha. Whenever we're um, relating to anybody, in fact, we can remind ourselves of this. We're, we're relating to the Buddha. Quite, quite pertinent in, in terms of the unprecedented situation we find ourselves in, having to, to uh, relate to our families more than we used to? Or how do we rel relate to people when we're out uh, walking? We talked the other day about just whenever you encounter anybody, just um, wishing them well. How else could we understand this tending the sick that Dawu says? We could also understand it in a more metaphorical way. I think we've, we've, we've touched on this in other talks, these other talks we've given in the series, um, that in classical Buddhism, the Buddha is seen as a great physician who, who made a diagnosis. He, he diagnosed our sickness as, as dukkha or unsatisfactoriness. And then he set out the, its cause our delusional self-clinging and then prescribed the treatment, the Eightfold Path. He says somewhere in, his, in the Pali Sutras, I teach but two things, suffering and the way out of suffering. So we can understand Dawu um, to be um, coming from his taking care of of the sick or we could understand it more generally as um, his taking care of of afflicted sentient beings and of course these two are not entirely um, separate So they're, they're not um, they're not identical. There's a little illustration of this in a passage from from Baudelaire. He says, "This life is a hospital in which each sick man is possessed by a desire to change beds. One would prefer to suffer by the stove. The other believes." he would recover if he sat by the window. I think I would be happy in that place I happen not to be. And this question of moving house is the subject of a perpetual dialogue I have with my soul. So in this, in this little 
description we have a bunch of, of, of sick people in a in a hospital ward and on top of their sickness there is this they're imagining that they'll be happy in that place where they're not right now the one by the the stove wants to be by the window the one by the window wants to be the stove by the stove so in this sense we have we have the pain of the sickness but then there's there's another deeper kind of sickness that's on top of that or under it the dukkha of um, wanting to be somewhere other than we are where we are right now and of course this, this, the sick men who who have these who have this desire to change beds um, they keep they take the sickness whichever bed they're in the sickness doesn't doesn't stay behind when they change beds But then Guaychan says, how many people are sick? This is kind of an indirect way of challenging Dawu. He said, just reported that he's been tending the sick. But what, what is sickness? Is there really such a thing as affliction in the Dharma? Are there such thing there's such things as deluded sentient beings? What does it mean to be sick? What does it mean to be well? In the in the introduction to this um, koan in the Shoyoroku, each each of the the koans there has a number of um, pieces of commentary, and the first one in each koan is a kind of like a point or an introduction by one song. In that that introduction, one song says, "The whole body being sickness, Villa Makurti is hard to cure." The grass being usable for medicine, Manjushri uses it well. These are these are references to um, other teachings within Buddhism on on uh, sickness and healing. We've already come across. Um, Villa McCurdy and his his um, statement that he of being of his being sick because all beings are sick, and actually I think also the other the other story here the um, mention of Manjushri using the medicine well. This is um, comes from a story in the Avatamska Sutra when when Manjushri asks someone to pick. Um, some to go out and pick some medicinal herbs and he says if there's something that is not medicine bring it to me and Sudana young sort of acolyte searches all over but he wasn't able to find anything that wasn't medicine so he goes back and and then Manjushri says to him gather me something that is medicine and at that point Sudana picks a single blade of grass and gives it to Manjushri and Manjushri holds it up and says to the to the other people there this medicine can kill people and it can also bring people to life and this this might be the source of the of the other koan we looked at where Uman says the whole earth is medicine what then are you the whole earth is medicine there isn't anything in this world that isn't or can't be medicine the kind of medicine that, that kills people and also brings them to life, which is 
as a Zen expression meaning that killing people is killing their delusions and then bringing them back to life. So we'll just look a little bit um, more into the Vilamakurti side of this, this, this statement by one song. The whole body being sickness, Vilamakurti is hard to cure. So it seems to be saying the opposite of what the second part is saying. The, saying, the grass being usable for medicine, the whole earth being medicine, Manjushri uses it well. The whole body being sickness. At one point in this sutra, um, Manjushri again, the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, is is questioning Vilamakurti, um, and he asks him, "How should a Bodhisattva console and not another Bodhisattva who is sick?" And then Manjushri gives a teaching, this um, wonderful, wonderful rich piece of teaching on this on this an answer to Manjushri's question. Vilamakurti says he should tell him that the body is impermanent but should not exhort him to renunciation or disgust. He should tell him that the body is miserable but not encourage him to find solace in liberation. That the body is selfless but that living beings should be developed, that the body is peaceful, but not to seek any ultimate calm. He should urge him to confess his evil deeds, but not for the sake of absolution. He should encourage his empathy for all living beings on account of his own sickness, his remembrance of suffering experienced from beginningless time, and his consciousness of working for the welfare of living beings. He should encourage him not to be distressed, but to manifest the roots of virtue, to maintain the primal purity and the lack of craving, and thus to always strive to become the king of healers who can cure all sicknesses. Thus should a bodhisattva console a sick bodhisattva in such a way as to make him happy. So if we look if we look into this 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 teaching Vilamakurti starts off to, to talking about how the body is impermanent and how it is miserable he really seems to be saying that well if you if you to have a body is to get sick that's just the nature of, of having a body. It is impermanent. It's, it's um, subject to all kinds of afflictions. But at the same time as, as putting this forward, he's also, um, in each of these pairings, he's um, warning the Bodhisattva not to fall into, into dualism. This body is impermanent but should not exhort him to renunciation or disgust. We don't have to renounce the body. We certainly, uh, it's not helpful to experience disgust. To see, but to see clearly that the nature of this body that we have that is, is uh, subject to all kinds of pains. But not then to project some kind of liberation from the body out somewhere beyond where we are right now. And, and equally importantly, 
he should encourage his empathy for all living beings on account of his own sickness. To have, have really suffered is, is enables one to really resonate with others who are suffering. This is one of the one of the great gifts of going through deep suffering is that then you're able to help others who are going through similar suffering and struggles. So with this little little introductory statement by Wan Song, we get we get kind of the two sides of of um, the story around sickness. We get on the one hand this statement that the whole body being sickness, Vilma Kirti, is hard to cure, and then the other side, the grass being usable for medi medicine, Manjushri uses it well. It's a reference to there being nothing that isn't medicine. So on one hand, we're hearing there's no end to sickness. As long as we have bodies, there'll be sickness. And also, there's always medicine there. The whole earth is medicine. Going back to to um, Dawu's now his response to um, Guishan's kind of challenge. So there is there are there are sick people, are they? Are there? Dawu says some are sick, and some are not. There are sick people and there are not sick people. Or you could say in each of us, there we're, we're sometimes sick, sometimes not. So Dawu manages to avoid getting stuck on one side or the other of this, this, this issue. He could be saying, sometimes I'm deluded, sometimes I'm not. I'm not. And neither defines me. And this is where we often get stuck. We think so we do something, we um, make a mistake, and then we, we let that mistake define us. Then Gui, Gui Shan says, isn't it you who's not sick? If he's saying, aren't you supposed to be the liberated one? And again, he's trying to catch Dawu out. And if, and if Dawu was to say, um, yes, I'm the one who's not sick, then he'd be um, emphasizing that I, I'm liberated, I'm not sick. And that would, that would be suggesting that some kind of abiding self He'd be fixing himself within a concept of, of a disease or an illness. And this is how we, we go astray. Our concepts come between us and, and just things as they are. And so Dawu comes back and says, sickness and non-sickness have nothing to do with it. Speak, speak. 
This is one of the points of this koan. What's he? What's the spirit of what he's saying here? You have to de demonstrate this. What is he actually saying? Well, he's certainly turning the tables and challenging Guishan now. Sickness and non-sickness have nothing to do with it. Speak, speak. Say something genuine. Say something real. Can apply this or uses an illustration. All the medical staff now, all the, the the doctors and nurses who are having to deal with COVID nineteen patients. So I saw a, a news article a couple of days ago saying that. Um, there had been 86 deaths of, of nurses and other um, healthcare people in the UK. It's hard to fathom what it must be like working, working in a situation where there are hundreds and hundreds of patients And you know that, that 86 of your colleagues have died from COVID-19. You may even know some of those people, and yet you have to go in there and work with infected patients. And, and, and that you need to, while you're doing that, doing, doing, be doing everything you can to um, protect yourself against infection and at the same time connect with another being, a suffering human being. And of course nursing involves all kinds of um, close attention. You can't practice physical distancing if you're nursing somebody and you have to handle all kinds of bodily fluids so take, you've got to take precautions to avoid contagion and at the same time connect. You can imagine how difficult your job would be if, if you were um, constantly anxious about um, catching the virus. You wouldn't be able to work effectively and compassionately unless you were able to put it all down and just be with that person checking on them giving them good treatment doing what needed to be done Kweishan um, replies to Dawu's challenge, even if I could reply, it would have no connection to that matter. No words can come close. Uh, one Tibetan teacher, he says, Imagining there is such a thing as an ailment is also illness, and so is the idea that there is a remedy or cure. Getting rid of all our notions about things. What is, what is true and present and alive in this moment, if we're looking after an infectious patient or someone coming too close to us when we're out in the supermarket breathing on us or dealing with a conflict at work via, via Zoom or waking up at 2am with lots of anxiety no words can come close Stop here and recite the four vows. 
All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.